Hi, and welcome to the Dark Industry Podcast, season number four. The Dark Industry Podcast is a collaboration with the Programmers of Color Collective and What's Up With Dogs. It is funded by Creative Europe, the City of Leipzig, the BKM and MDM. We thank our partners and supporters for their contributions. Hey, and thank you for listening. Enjoy the show. Welcome everyone. You are listening to an episode of Dog Industry Podcast dedicated to virtual and augmented reality and the technologies reshaping ways we tell stories. We are about to dive into fascinating topic, generative AI and its remarkable impact on creativity. My name is Veronika Lewandowska and I am Doc Exchange XR coordinator, XR director and researcher. I am thrilled to host this conversation on how artificial intelligence is reshaping the landscape of filmmaking and expanded reality creation and production. AI is suddenly everywhere, turning heads of many creators, changing the very essence of how we craft narratives and build immersive experiences. It is also a controversial topic that raises many questions about copyrights, ethics, privacy, and the value of human work. What opportunities does it unlock and what ethical consideration does it raise? How to use it ethically? How can it help filmmakers and creative technologists to think out of the box? AI also examines the limits of our imagination and perception. Today, we will take a look at this broad topic, which is main focus of the Doc Exchange XR program this year. I have the pleasure of introducing our guest, Mads Dembsbu. Mads wears many hats, from being the head of studies at the European Creators Lab, to being a visionary creative technologist and experienced designer. Not to mention his directional and production work on projects like Dark Rooms and the upcoming About a Hero, which holds the distinction of being the very first feature film written by AI. Over the past years, Metz has been exploring the fusion of art and AI for artists and filmmakers. In 2020, he founded Casper AI, a platform that collaborates with AI to create art and entertainment, along with providing cutting-edge editing tools for filmmakers. Also, he will be giving a keynote at the upcoming The Dog Exchange XR conference. It's a true privilege to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, we, uh, we will be focused on AI topic, of course, but I am curious, how did you develop your skills and creativity before, before getting into AI? Could you share your artistic and technological background and its connection to expanded reality? Sure. I was always fascinated by technology. I think growing up, the internet came the same time as puberty for me. So it was kind of like growing hand in hand with technology and the utopian idea of what the internet could be and what we could do with it uh, stuck somewhere in, in, uh, in my DNA. And so when I went to film school, I was challenging uh, a lot the conventions of how we make films. I was schooled a film producer originally. And I remember very early on, I... I 
simply decided that I wanted to make a film that couldn't be seen in cinemas in regular ways. It it was a live performance mixed with a film, and it was going to be real-time streamed to the cinema's uh, screen. And this experience uh, was so profoundly fun and 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 but also artistically giving and and the audience uh, really had a really big impact on the audience that I didn't expect. And so I think from 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 then on, I I knew that I needed to do something that included the audience in the experience in a way that normal film couldn't do. And so from then. I basically discovered virtual reality. I think many people did uh, when the first headsets came out, or there were a lot that did. And uh, for us, kind of, uh, that were curious about technology, it was it was a no-brainer that we needed to start making cinematic uh, quality films inside this medium. Uh, and so I started developing on several projects, including the dog, the doghouse, which was one of my first uh, VR experiences, uh, five-person dinner table where the audience would sit and embody one of five characters, either being the mom, the dad, or the new girlfriend, and realizing that um, their subjective reality was very different from the ones on the other side of the table. And this was all done with sort of gaffer tape cameras uh, put together to create point of view, stereo lenses, and and uh, we did made our own software to run it on the Oculus DK1, which was the very first uh, headset uh, available. And so, yeah, the rest is kind of history because otherwise this will be a long answer. But I think that curiosity of what can technology provide in a story and how can it create an impact that is unprecedented, that, that's something that I've always been, been married to. And it's very interdisciplinary approach uh, where the audience is very important. And I think it's very uh, crucial that uh, you started thinking about audience at this moment because uh, it's something what expanded reality brings to experience in, in inside the headset. It's like it's always dialogue with the person uh, which is inside. And thanks to AI, I think it it can be even more open to audience. But how has your artistic background and technological expertise influenced your approach to creativity in the realm of AI? How does what you describe uh, help you with uh, AI and shaping the projects with AI? Well, actually, it started somewhere else because when I was introduced to, I mean, I knew about artificial intelligence and was following sort of uh, the technology advancements over the last decade, but I never thought it would come to a stage where I would use it so actively in 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 my productions as I've as I'm doing now. Um, and where it started for me was actually also in a very conceptual way because the film director that I work with now, Piotr Vinovich, he came to me over three years ago and said, you know what, I think these uh, these machine learning models that are coming, they'll be able to write a film script. And I think they'll be able to, to write a really good film script. And I think we should make a feature film written by an AI. And that was the concept. And the, the reason I liked the idea was not necessarily because I believed that AI was capable of writing a better film than humans could write, 
but because I really wanted to see the result of that experiment. I, I, cur- I was personally curious to whether we could get somewhere where we could finance it, we could go into production, we could show it in a cinema, and people would be like, okay, there's, the, there's an AI film, you know? And, um, and so, but then when you start working with it and you see its limitations, but you also see its potential, uh, that's where I started to really understand what AI can do in creative processes, um, which is, of course, a lot. Uh, and we can get into that in more detail if you want. But, but yeah, so it started in, as a more conceptual uh, idea. But it was three years ago, so before Chat GPT has opened uh, our imagination that it's possible. Um, so I guess you use uh, different tools. You had you had to build your own models. Well, no, not exactly, because we used GPT two before it was three. And the, but the interesting thing about GPT two is that, in many ways, what it produced was a little bit more albeit very abstract and sometimes incoherent, it was very poetic. And it was actually more interesting in some regards than what we see from 3.5 or 4 that we now are using for rewrites of the script. So one of the early uh, early things that happened was that after we had trained... So the, the concept of the film, for those that don't know, is that we were inspired by Werner Herzog's quote from 2016 where he said a machine will never make a film as good as mine in four and a half thousand years. And of course, that was a call to action, like a challenge almost, you know, that this was this was exactly the person we should train an AI to be. Because if we wanted to in any way evaluate whether or not something is as good as or better than someone, then why not the old romantic epic filmmaker Werner Herzog who everyone, or at least everyone who works with film, has some relation to. And that also has a pretty huge body of work, not only in film, but also in literature. And so he has a lot of written text. And we decided to train our GBT2 model on, or fine-tune it, so to speak, on his material. And after many months of feeding it, which is basically the hardest part of the journey, is to, to clean the data and make it all readable for the AI, uh, one night in like some cold night, uh, our main, like our machine learning engineer, Isburn, decided to test the system for the first time. And in order to test the system, you have to prompt it with something. You have to give it some kind of initial uh, prompt. And he decided to use the word something. And from the word something came a three-page poem I would say, or like short essay that started basically like this. It said, this is a movie about a hero dreaming up surprisingly ordinary dreams. That was the, that was the first sentence of this. And it went on to describe a lot of characters. It des- described a lot of scenarios and things that would, might happen in this film. And we were really flawed because it... It resembled the way Herzog would talk about a theme. It resembled how he would approach uh, dreams and reality. And, um, and, and his sort of artistic voice was shining through somehow. 
But also there was a machine underneath that was also shining through. So there was this doubleness in this text. So we decided to call the film about a hero uh, based on the first line that the machine produced. And um, and yeah, and I think that's that's uh, just a, some context to to how this sort of creative process started. And of course, it didn't write the full script at once. It you then have to interrogate the machine, and the early models were all over the place, and they were you know not coherent. They didn't have time, temporal memory, so they couldn't remember what conversation we had just had, and they would go in another direction. Now, of course these newer models, they have temporal memory, they know what session you're in, and you can sort of refer back to characters that you already created. So our script developed in parallel to how the technology developed. And for every time a new version of the model came out, we were able to do more advanced uh, rewrites and and uh, iterations on the script. It sounds like from the beginning it was a really creative process with artificial intelligence, like challenging your creativeness. And um, I am wondering how you uh, have found balance with uh, this uh, this tool. Like, um, did it overwhelm you at some point, or? how you shape the script with uh, AI and maybe um, is there any other layer of the production that you uh, you used AI on only for the script? Oh, there's many layers that we're using AI in the main main ver the main sort of idea is the script and so 95% of the script is written by an AI. We did decide to do some modifications to help the script flow so that, you know, we placed it in the right order. We curated the scenes. It it doesn't have an idea of structure. So we helped it to create structure on all the different stories that it was telling. And we also discarded stories that it, you know, we didn't think were interesting. So in a way, we acted as curators uh, of the of the story. And it became almost like a waterfall where the more you fed, the more you were given back. And then you pooled things that you liked and then you fed it again with what you liked. And then it kept, you know, pouring into new pools that you could pull from. So it was like this long process of 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 generating material and then pulling it, pooling it and then choosing it and then re-prompting uh, it. Um, and regards to your other question about other technologies, what we realized while we were making the film was that maybe we weren't only making a, a script writer. Uh, we were also making a filmmaker, right? We were also trying to, 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 to make a film where the AI's sort of point of view was visible. So how does it see the film? So we asked, you know, what does this location look like or describe this character or, uh, you know, draw me mood boards of this scene. So all these things are now part of the production package. Uh, everything from character descriptions to uh, location images. Uh, and we try to find locations that, that then look exactly like the locations that it produced, right? Um, and we will even be using generative 
techniques and deep fake techniques because you of course have to put Herzog in the film, but uh, he isn't physically with us, so we have to deep fake him into the film, etc. So there's there's several techniques where we're where we're using AI, and also in the film explaining those techniques as we go along because we want the audience to to not only watch this film and see what AI can do, we also want them to understand the underlying processes and considerations and ethical questions that might arise when doing so. So in that way, the film is both a demonstration uh, and a contemplation on AI, um, but it's also a, a an actual reflection together with real people as a real documentary, not a synthetic one. Okay, so it's... Uh... It's a documentary. It's like, like you can think about it about like a documentary and you have Herzog as a narrator or actor of what's what is his role in this movie? Well, so I'm not sure I want to go into too many details about the film just because it's we're we haven't shot the whole film yet and we're still in production. Um but what I can say is that The structure of the film is that there is a synthetic documentary that was written by an AI as if it was a documentary, but with places that don't exist, people that don't exist, and a fictive uh, narrative of what happened that the fake Hatzak goes to explore. That's what's happening in the synthetic documentary. And then we have a real documentary that is then following that process as we're doing it. So these are the two things that are weaved together into one film. Okay, so maybe, I don't know if it will be the last question uh, about this project, but uh, I am wondering how Herzog uh, felt about it. You know, it's because it's also ethical uh, question. Uh, can we use um, the image of a person and... Uh, use deep fake for that and how we will also the, the question for the future productions uh, when some when we will use the image of some actors who are dead for example so but here you can have a feedback from the person and i'm wondering what kind of feedback uh, you got from him yeah well that's a good question i mean Hatzog he knows about the project he has uh, given his consent Uh, for us to make the project and but he's also highly skeptical and he's not only skeptical he believes that we will fail and that we will fail miserably to make a film as good as his and i think that's the position that he sh shall have or should have right it's a it's also a we're not claiming that our film will be better than any film that Werner Herzog could do. But we do want the audience to come out of the cinema thinking, well, how close are we actually? What are the actual differences between a story told by a machine and a story told by humans? And does it matter? And I think those questions are important for the future because we are going to step into an age where machines will be able to mimic and replicate and mirror our collective consciousness, so to speak. And in doing so, I think there will be a lot of 
content, stories around us that are fabricated, synthesized. Um, and how do we feel about that as a humankind? Uh, and it's already happening. I mean, it's happening right now. It's happening. If you go online, you search for Vimeer's per, uh, woman with pearl earrings and you find a fake a synthesized image of her with light bulbs instead of pearls. And no one is telling you that this is a AI generated image, but it will for now be stuck to the, to the Google search of Vermeer's famous painting. And so the pollution of, of the stories that we surround us with um, is happening right now. And so I think we have a, a grand responsibility as filmmakers and storytellers to explore this topic uh, and to understand all the implications um, but also to reflect on on how we feel about being surrounded by synthetic storytelling. Especially when you are um, producing documentary piece because it's um, it's like testimony of, uh, of the past or present. Uh, we have a lot of fake news today. We, we need to like um, develop a sense of what is real, what is fake. And uh, I, I'm wondering um, how we can trust uh, AI that it w will not hallucinate, you know, about past. Do you know any tools which can protect us, which, can, which creators can use for during the process to be sure that or how they can verify information the AI is creating? I, I can't give you any practical uh, tools uh, off, off the top of my head, but what I can say is that I think the deeper question here is, will they ever stop hallucinating? And are we, uh, and, and are humans also not hallucinating all the time? I mean, if you think about it, the... The way AI works is that it creates us an image from a diffusion, or at least the way these kind of models that we have now, how they diffuse an image and hallucinate it together, have a high level of accuracy in some regards, but in some other regards, it's completely off, right? And, and I think in a way, I mean, humans do the same. We don't know what is true. We don't know what is objectively the truth. Uh, we can believe that there is an objective truth and we can try to have sources and institutions and peer reviews and all sorts of things that act as, as, as sort of markers of truth. But we will all be, you know, consciously hallucinating all the time. And when we agree on some kind of hallucination together, then we call it reality, Right. Like this is a famous uh, neuroscientist Anil Seth talks about is like that that's just how human cognition works. Uh, we're projecting it uh, and assuming that this is how reality is. And then we're, we're changing it as we go along by corrections of what comes in through our outer stimuli. And I think that we're, we're probably closer to machines than we think. And, and in my personal opinion, and this is not something that, you know, the film necessarily uh, will give an answer on. But my personal opinion is that we are close to being machines or machines are close to being us in many ways. And 
that there lies a, a kind of weird kinship and a common ground in storytelling that we can that we both can enjoy from and that maybe we should appreciate um, synthetic storytelling for what it is and not necessarily uh, be afraid of it hallucinating um, but that said I'm of course all for uh, some sort of um, stamp of truth that some things are verified uh, that some things are you know backed up by several sources and this these kind of things is i think are, are super important in terms of misinformation and disinformation but when it comes to storytelling fiction i don't know you know why not listen to the machine dream uh, I, I think you said something really inspiring about this AI, that it can be like a mirror for us, for humans, that um, we s again ask about what is truth and uh, if, uh, if we are always right, <laughs> because uh, what we think it's the matter of uh, our perception, which can be really like hallucinating. <laughs> so. Um, I really like this idea of asking uh, important questions uh, again at that time, at that world where we live, because we very easily uh, forget about uh, important issues. I think it's also one of those things where in the past we've talked about collective consciousness as something that uh, was represented somewhere on the internet or that it was there, you know, but being able to actually access it and and interrogate it and uh, pull information from it, that has been an impossibility that, you know, that would require us to, as one human, to scope uh, everything that's happening online at once, which would be impossible for any one person. And so, and so in a way, what, what these models are also giving us a, a, an access to is like this unprecedented... Uh, force of information and of knowledge and of creativity that is humankind up until now and that represents us in many ways including all the biases of course and all the 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 shit that also is in there um but but has both the good and the bad has has all the things that are human and and i think it's very inspiring to have that access right now and be able to in a creative way uh, use it as a tool to understand what stories to tell next, right? So, so in a way, it's lifting us as storytellers to another level of uh, of how we we might be able to tell stories. So, I think that's very inspiring, and and I think that's also how I see the future of using AI. Is that I'm not afraid that it will take over our storytelling per se, and we will be, you know flooded uh, with with stories that are not our own. Uh, I, I see more a tendency towards creators and artists and filmmakers using these models, training them on something specific, using data as, a, as the foundation for the way that they want this tool to work for them, uh, being aware of how it's trained and what it's trained on, and and then using it creatively and actively in their process to create something that hasn't been done before. You know, and this is this is kind of like this advanced tool concept that you, you know, you can have a Stradivarius, right? 
but it's the most complex, beautiful instrument in the world. But if you don't know how to use it and you don't have training on how to use it, it'll sound like shit. But if you're really good at playing the violin, then this is going to be the most beautiful sound in the world. Yeah, and of course, when you develop this relationship with uh, some technology, some tool, it also can change and influence your perception. So I think that this AI technology will shape our perception, will change our attitude to, um, to the world and creation, of course. I would like to come back to this question, this quote, which inspire you to create your movie with AI. Uh, a computer will not create a film as good as mine in 4,500 years. That's the, the quote, um, words of Werner Herzog. And it, um, uh, it, it provokes me to ask you a question about generations. You know, if, if it's the characteristic only for older generation of artists to ask, like, um, don't believe that uh, AI can be helpful, can change something, open them. Um, because you are the mentor for uh, the European Creators Lab and you are meeting uh, young people. Uh, so is it a half generation difference? Uh, how young people, how participants of the European Creators Lab think about AI? Are they afraid about using this or open? Could you tell some insight? Do you have any insight uh, on this topic? from your experience? That's a good question. I haven't considered it actually over the difference in generations. And, I, and funnily enough, I think, you know, even though Herzog said this, I just saw recently that uh, he was developing uh, poetry together with AI. That was just released in New York Times article, I think a couple of days ago. And, you know, so he's, he's skeptical, but he's also curious. And I think it's, it's, it has less to do with generations because it has more to do with people that are, you know, explorative and uh, adventurous and courageous about things that are new. And that's, you know, there, there will always be these like first movers that think that these kind of technologies are inspiring and, and point to a different future and um, can assist and help them in different ways. But obviously, being in a younger generation, I mean, growing up with a smartphone that talks to you, um, it's going to be easier to to sort of just get started and uh, and, and jump right into it. Um, I think we all have like a comprehensive or like a, uh, well, what can you call it? Like um, we all have this issue of understanding what's happening in the black box, which I think is common for for anyone that is interested in working with it, that it's still kind of, and even for the scientists that, that, that make these models, they can't really explain why they're doing what they're doing. Um, and so I think this black box um, is something we need to, to, to better describe and to, and to better understand um, for it to be sort of a, um, a tool that will be more universal for everyone to use. Um, because I see a lot of people just jumping into it and then 
uh, either being discouraged by it or being frightened by it or because they don't really know which tool they've been using, why and how and what's it been trained on and how to ask it questions. You know, there's still a lot of like illiteracy in in working with machine learning. And so, but that's a question of, of just having better uh, education and podcasts like this and workshops, etc. Yeah, I also think young people, they really want to create um, content for like social media. That's the way how they express themselves, uh, yeah. communicate with other people. So um, AI could be helpful in uh, user-generated content. Uh, also for XR, I guess uh, it's, it's very... Uh, useful for prototyping or creating. And I would like to ask you how Casper AI works. Sure. Well, that's, um, so that's a little bit of a different p place in the, in the value chain. We work in the, uh, the film is all about what is needed to create the story that we want to then film and then edit and make into a film. Whereas Caspar AI is more focused on the post-production aspect. So the tools that we're building and the specific tool that we're actually just about to release for alpha users is an editing tool that sits right inside your Premiere Pro software. So you're in the middle of your editing software. And what Caspar does is that it analyzes your footage, no matter how much you have, It both uh, visually analyzes and, and auditively analyzes. So it listens to what's being said. And once it's done that, you can then, with a text prompt, search for anything in your material in any way you want. So let's say you were looking for your main character uh, smiling. You know, Then you write uh, the name of your character, smiling, and the, that uh, those images will appear. Um, But you can also search for anything that's been said. Um, you can even search for things that they are talking about without them using that specific word. So I'm interested in uh, places where people talk about philosophy of filmmaking, and it will find those conversations in your material. So it's this very smart assistant that editors can use to generate uh, results really quickly. And the way the results are generated is that they actually pop into a timeline so that your search results are already assembled into a sequence. And you can then either decide to keep that sequence, choose parts of it, or discard it and search for more. But it's all text input and uh, kind of like how you would prompt GPT-3. Uh, you prompt Caspar and then you get your results. Who can use this software, this Plugin, I don't know how to how you call it. Plugin extension. It's a it's a sort of tool that you can use inside Premiere. Well, in theory, uh, anyone that wants to try it can can be a member of our Discord channel, and um, and we will release it within the next two weeks or or so for an alpha uh, group. Um, you, all you need is basically to have a. a a good computer setup with Premiere Pro running, uh, and then you can install it and, and start testing it. Um, but of course, we're, the target group for this is professional editors or editing assistants um, that are working either uh, in 
professionally in companies and studios, but also people working with their own content, uh, prosumers. So there are around 10 million Premiere users in the world um, that I think uh, could, could benefit from this. There are AI tools created to protect us from AI manipulation, <laughs> <laughs> like PhotoGuard, uh, developed by MIT researchers, uh, which modify images uh, in a manner indiscernible to humans while preventing AI system for making adjustments to them. If someone tries to use an editing app based on generative AI model, such uh, as stable diffusion to manipulate the image um, that has been immunized by PhotoGuard, the outcome will appear unnatural. Uh, how can we shape our relationship with AI regarding copyrights? Uh, what what do you think about it? Um, do we need this protection, uh, like AI tools against AI, to like give the credits for people, or you know, because it's really important issue copyrights. Like we have this um, guilds of scriptwriters around the world engaging who are engaging in in protest and so on so there is this question rising um, and i don't know what's the right solution for that because of course you can learn you are inspired even when you create you are inspired by by some people so you always digest some informations yeah i mean i think it's it's a really hard question because it to me, it, it really comes down to the specific use cases, you know, like where where is it used and how much is it used and and um, and 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 is it taking you know a substantial uh, part of the creative process away from humans and therefore should be uh, somehow claimed or labeled as such? Um, I think. You know, for instance, with, with our tool, with the Kaspar tool, uh, you won't be able to know that an AI assisted you in editing, right? Because it's just, a, for now, just a search tool. But, and it's working within your workflow. And it's, you know, anything you spit out of Premiere will just be a film sequence like any other. So you won't, you won't be able to detect that an AI was assisting you in this. Uh, you won't be able to detect that an AI wrote the script for something and then someone shot it. So, you know... The question of, you know, I think it's it's an it's a utopian idea that we can label everything uh, correctly out of like, you know, some kind of smart AIs that can look at stuff. I think that's going to be impossible. It's going to infiltrate the processes, creative processes all around uh, the world in, in all sorts of industries. Um, and so I don't think we're able to do that. But what what probably should be done, and which I think is what's happening with the guild strike, uh, is that when you see these changes happening where producers are saying, well, why not just make an AI write the first draft and then let you know humans write the second draft? Um, there is where there should be a strike, which there is, and there should be you know an uproar to say, well, maybe that's not the future we want where stories are originating from machines and then should be retold or refurbished by humans. Um, so those kind of battles should be done in each an individual uh, industry, and yeah, I think that that's that's going to be an ongoing discussion for the next many years. Is going to be how how do we place the the copyright on this, and 
and and even you know you might there there is a world where it might be okay that there is um you know a copyright given to a company that just deployed a machine to do something right and that that they didn't own the copyright i think there is a world where that's possible um the question is always you know what is it trained on again uh, are you using uh, open ai's model where they have all these artists that they just you know without consent uh, took their data um and and i guess it's going to be up to the to the individual industries and to the individual governmental regulations on like how do we want to regulate this um i personally really don't think that we should be that preoccupied about you know whether your work has been part of training a model i think humans should look forward instead of backwards and see it more as like a, a being part of a collected record of human creativity is is like your contribution to something that then will spring new ideas and new originality from so for me it's 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 a little backwards thinking to be to be so preoccupied about well you know is it uh, in, is the machine inspired by my work yes it is but a million people could be inspired by your work and and draw something similar but they you know it wouldn't be you wouldn't be replicating your work right obviously if someone uses midjourney to then recreate a picasso painting and then call it a picasso painting and it's obviously a fake you know then we have like real copyright issues but are we inspired by picasso and made an ai uh, picture is that a problem i don't really see the problem right i mean and an, i think an art dealer would also be like who gives a shit that you made an ai version of a picasso uh, i want the real picasso right so that's just my personal opinion but but it will be a discussion we'll have for many years so we inspire ai and ai inspires us <laughs> so it's it's yes. both both way exchange uh, yeah. somehow <laughs> Uh, of course, if we are open to use this uh, this new tool and experiment with it. Regarding experimenting, I am ask I would like to ask you about your plans for uh, prototyping lab in Leipzig um, because we are meeting in October for Doc Exchange XR, and uh, you are leading um, workshops and. Um, creation of prototypes uh, during the European Creators Lab. Uh, could you provide some insight into the mentors you have in mind or you have invited and who will be present in Leipzig during that time? And of course, are you planning to use AI? Yes, so the prototype lab in Leipzig, which I think maybe there's still an open call for if you are out there and you have a project, you should apply. Um, it's my one of my favorite labs of the of the European Creators Lab uh, series because there are three labs uh, every year that we that we plan and that we execute and this one is the one dedicated to actually making a part of a project to validate whether it works or not and uh, and what it gives us as an audience and what it tells us as as creators on uh, on how to proceed with the project so. I've always been a huge fan of that process because the prototyping 
is really where you learn the most and uh, have something to show for it. And and if you dare to fail, you can learn a lot from it. And so it um, it's my it's one of my favorite times. And usually, what we did last year is that we had um, a lot of very technically creative and talented people that can actually jump into code or jump into the creation of a prototype. Um, so it was a group of people that that um, I've worked with over the years or that I know uh, have the talents to do that, that I collected for, for the prototyping lab. And it'll be similar this year. We'll have many of the same uh, um, creative technologists there that can really uh, get down and dirty and hands-on with the, with the projects that come in. Um, and what's cool about it this year, I think, is that we're planning to somehow showcase this in in synergy with the with the Leipzig Exchange and like with the whole industry. And I think what's what's the most scary, but also the most productive, is to have an audience at the end of your prototyping, um, even if it can fail, even if things won't go right. Uh, you'll just push yourself a little harder, and you'll also have some actual feedback. From, uh, from from industry and from from audiences that can be very valuable for your further progression. So for me, I'm looking forward to that a lot. Yeah, we are also looking forward uh, to you and all of you listening us today. And uh, I hope you will join us. Uh, it was our amazing guest, Matt Damsbull. Thank you for joining us today. We are truly grateful for your insight and perspective on AI and immersive storytelling. We can't wait to meet you in Leipzig for the Exchange XR and the European Creators Lab collaboration and networking week. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. I would like to thank Annalise Redford, Rene Blumel and Timon Misselhorn for their hard work behind the scene in bringing this episode to life. Thank you for listening. Check out the Doc Exchange XR program on our website. And for more inspiration, see you in October in Leipzig. Mm-hmm.